available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions, our pre-bowl game edition of the podcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions, talking about Pac-12 football. It's a great podcast. We've been doing it since, uh, I guess, guess the spring, Dave. And it's bowl season now. And so we want to make it interactive. We want people to to write in or call in and give us your takes on what's going on with the 10 teams, 10 Pac-12 teams that are in bowl games. So a couple ways to get a hold of us. Email is Pac-12podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at Pac-12podcast. Tweet us there. Our website, where we're trying to put more information up, uh, it's in a blog form. It's got all the old episodes on it. Pac-12podcast.com. And, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, just call 641 615-3900, extension 734-972. Let us know what you think about your team in the bowl game. If you want to give your own little fan preview, any kind of voicemail, we do love those, Dave. Yeah, I I think I'm going to announce it right here. We're going to quit doing this podcast if we don't get a voicemail in the next two weeks. (laughs) All right? I like it. So that that means a non-publisher of another site. We want a fan voicemail. Because we haven't had one in a long, long time, and I want a screenplay pitch. I just don't. I don't want like a normal <laughs> voicemail. I want something that's a little out there and a little gonzo. We that's had some I other think. some crazy stuff back back in the day, and you know, and the voicemails actually led us to some really fun stuff on the show. And I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Gary Barlow. Uh, so he worked at Virtual World Arts. Um, he's the one that put up that Pac-12 uh, Podcast of Champions logo, and he got he got through us with the emails and the voicemails and stuff so he's the one if you can see on our twitter and you can see on our site uh he put up that logo and everything it's really cool so if you need some help we'll give him a shout out his website is virtualworldarts.com um so if you need logos he created our logo for us he could do that animate it for you sound effects all that kind of fun stuff we might have to utilize gary's talents a little bit more but if you need help with a media project you can go to virtualworldarts.com and uh, Gary hooked us up. So, yeah, you like the new art, Dave? Oh, it's it's awesome. And Gary was super responsive throughout the whole process because I know, you know, anybody who's doing graphics can be pretty particular about what they want to see. And Gary was great about working with us and uh, putting together what we exactly wanted. And I think it turned out great. I think it turned out exactly kind of how we envisioned it. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's neat. I mean, you know, give us we, we had the the official Pac-12 logo up there, which <laughs> we probably shouldn't have had. You know, We were but. violating a lot of copyright. <laughs> a lot of them. But luckily, I mean, despite having millions upon millions of listeners, the Pac-12 never caught wind. Yes, they uh they I think they just kind of let slide, you know, they they yeah. like us. We've had their talent on our show before. We'll continue to do that the off season. Well, I um, think they saw that we were so big and we were promoting Pac-12 so well that they were just like there's no point in fighting them. They're like, a, you know, 
a monstrosity. It's impossible to, to fight their power. <laughs> we are in more homes than the Pac-12 network. Right? We, we, we really are. We really are. We could be nationwide. We could be in 300 million homes. There's yeah. no, no telling how big Worldwide, we dude. We get, we get international questions. Yeah, we want international questions too. I love those. So send them I in. want an international voicemail. I want to, I want Ooh. somebody to have to dial about 15 numbers to get over here. That's tough. Yeah. Country code one. That's, that's what we are, right? That's very, uh, that's very, just... very U.S. centric right there. <laughs> Country code one. That's us. Awesome. Well, okay. So for this show, we're going to do, we have a couple of bowl previews because we have uh-huh. two of them coming up on the 19th. Um, so we're going to preview those two bowls. We'll probably do another show that'll get maybe knock out the rest of the December bowls. I don't know. Maybe we'll do the rest of them all in one show, but, um, we'll, we'll do the first two and then we have a bunch of questions. We want to talk about the, the all conference team. So a lot, lot to do on this show, Dave. Lots to do. Lots to do. Should we jump right into our bowl previews? Yeah. Is there, uh, let's see. Should we maybe, let's start with, uh, the Gildan, which I don't know what that is. Well, I think, Brian, hold on. Oh, and I, I know it's not a complete roundup, but come on. Okay. So let's, uh, this is our Pac 12. Pac 12 roundup. All right, come yeah. on. I, I can't. I, I need my routines. I can't do this without that. My all bad. Right? Yeah. All right. Now you can go into our 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 spiel. Yeah. So the first one is the Gildan, which I don't know what it is. New Mexico Bowl. That's played in Albuquerque. Again, this is the December nineteenth bowl between Arizona Wildcats and the Fighting Bob Davies of New Mexico. Indeed, indeed. I was waiting. I, I honestly was waiting there in silence, waiting for our New Mexico Lobos sound. It didn't come. Um, this game's on at 11 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Saturday, December 19th, on ESPN. Uh, Arizona six and six going at New Mexico seven and five. Arizona's favored by eight, but this is a home game for New Mexico. It is at University Stadium in Albuquerque. Uh, Apparently, the odds makers don't think that'll play a factor. I want to hear what our man, Jason Shear, has to say. Hi, this is Jason Shear of WildcatAuthority.com. And Arizona kicks off the bowl season in the New Mexico Bowl against New Mexico on Saturday. And it's a really interesting game, uh, due in large part to the fact that it's basically a home game for New Mexico. They sold 28,000 tickets. I can't think more than 2,000 of those are Arizona fans. So... This is an away game. Um, New Mexico is practicing at home. They get to drive to the stadium on game day. They do their normal routine. Uh, meanwhile, Arizona arrived uh, earlier this week, got in one practice in New Mexico, and they're ready to play. And then not only that, you're you're playing against a triple option team, which Arizona doesn't see much of. Uh, the closest thing Arizona's seen to a triple option team is probably Nevada. Um, not too similar, but... A little bit in the sense that Nevada runs some option out of shotgun. Uh, New Mexico is unique in their triple option and that it's all out of shotgun. So it's not, um, like a, a Navy per se where a lot of times, uh, it's right behind center. Uh, New Mexico will run their triple option out of the shotgun and really attack the perimeter. Um, right now Arizona is favored by about a touchdown in this game, which I think is reasonable. Uh, you have to keep home field advantage in mind. Uh, in terms of injuries, uh, Arizona's probably healthier than it's been, but still without Freddie Tagaloa, um, at guard. So they'll, they'll be going to Gerhard to be here for only his, uh, second or third start there. And then, uh, Nick Wilson has been ruled out for the game. So they'll be going to, to Jared Baker, uh, at the running back spot. 
Um, the good thing with injuries is that Scooby Red is back. Uh, he missed the majority of the season, as most people know, but he's back. He's practicing fully. Um, he's 100% ready to go. You uh, you do have to worry about game shape and, and things like that with him, but he's good enough where you have to think he's going to be able to make uh, an immediate impact. Uh, at the very least, he'll get the defense going and, and be kind of an energy guy. Um, and it's good that he's coming back against a, a triple option team. So he'll definitely have his, his work cut out for him. I think the big difference in this game is that I don't think New Mexico's defense uh, is good enough to stop what Arizona does. Um, it's a very aggressive defense. It's similar to Arizona State's. Uh, the difference, obviously, though, is the quality and personnel. And I think if, if Arizona's offensive line blocks like it is capable of blocking, I think defensively it'll be a, a long day for New Mexico. I think Arizona will stretch the field, and, and Ami Solomon, who's healthy and back, will uh, will be able to put up some nice numbers. So I expect Arizona to win, but you never know. Triple option team uh, in their home stadium, things could uh, could get a little crazy. Arizona has a history of, of kind of a crazy New Mexico bowl. Uh, years ago with Nevada, so all bets are kind of off in the, in the first bowl game of the season. I want to commend Jason Shear, who just, I mean, really thoroughly broke down this game, and I can't imagine it's too interesting, Arizona versus New Mexico, <laughs> but he did a really great job. Um, they've, they've got a common opponent this year, uh, ASU. Uh, New Mexico uh, played ASU at the beginning of the year, lost by 24 points. Um, you know, I I think New Mexico played over its head quite a bit this year. I think Bob Davey did a great job, but I, I think Jason's right. I don't think that defense is going to be able to stop Arizona that well. I think the real question is going to be Arizona's linebacker play versus that triple option. Even if Scooby Wright's back, he hasn't played in two months, two and a half months. Um, so he, I, I can only imagine he's going to be a little bit rusty, and being a little bit rusty against a team that's running the triple option, you have to be super disciplined. Um, so I could see New Mexico scoring some points. I think I'm going to take the points. I think I'm taking New Mexico in the points. I think Arizona's going to win, but I think eight points is a lot, especially when it's a essentially a true road game and a bowl game, and bowl games are funky. You know, Arizona went 6-6 six and six this year. They might be a – you know, there's always that thing when you're in one of those kind of second- or third-tier bowls where motivation can be a real, real factor. And I think New Mexico going into this year not expecting to be a bowl team and then getting into a bowl game at home versus Arizona, which, you know, they were the Pac-12 South champions last year, and now they're a 6-6 six and six team. I think motivation might also be on New Mexico's side. So I'm, I'm taking the points here. I forgot we have to do picks, Dave. I thought, like, oh, man, i got to make a pick here. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So, yeah, they did have the common opponent. But if you look at what New Mexico – has been able to do this season. They've been one of the surprise teams um, in college football. And, you know, Bob Davey, which you know a lot of people don't even remember, if you don't follow Mountain West football, you're like, oh, wait, Bob Davey's still coaching? Like, yeah, he's doing a pretty good job at New Mexico. And they weren't that good early in the season. Um, you know, they end up losing to Tulsa pretty decently. Like you said, Arizona State kind of blew them out. But towards the end, they made a lot of noise in the Mountain West. And, uh, you know, they end up losing – uh, to, uh, they lost to Colorado State, but they beat Utah State. They beat Boise State on the blue turf, on the Smurf turf. They went up to Boise and won. Um, yep. that's not easy to do. And they beat Air Force, which has, you know, been a good team too. So, um, they, they went a pretty good stretch at the end, beating Utah State, Boise State, Air Force, and only losing to Colorado State in their last four games. I think they're playing a lot better football now. 
in the the later part of the season as they were early. Now, bowl games it's always like kind of a a crapshoot. Um, it's not like you know it, it's not like you're going to come out and play the way you did the last week. That's what I right. kind of don't like about bowl games. But they have been playing a lot better. Um, I think I'm going to take New Mexico State and I mean New Mexico State, New Mexico, not New Mexico State. They beat New Mexico State earlier in the year, by the way, 38-29. But I'm going to take New Mexico <laughs> and the eight points. I think I kind of get the feeling, Dave, it'll be a closer game, and New Mexico's be able to run the football and kind of control the the pace a little bit. Uh, yeah, may, maybe that New Mexico defense will have some problems, and you know they they likely will. But eight points is a lot, and I'm not sure a lot of the Pac-12 teams and all the bowls that are favored are going to be covering a bunch of them. I'm I'm going to take New Mexico and the points in this one too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we should also mention Arizona. Really good news for the Wildcats. Rich Rod appears to be staying. I mean, obviously, a weird thing could happen over the next few weeks, but he resisted some, you know, overtures from, I think, South Carolina and is, you know, I think fully committed to Arizona now. So that's really good. And I think that, you know, if we're talking about motivation, I think that might give Arizona a little bit of a boost coming into this game, too. You know, when you know you're retaining your head coach versus a little bit of uncertainty. So, um, I think that that could be a, a factor as well. But yeah, I think we both like Arizona to win, but New Mexico to cover, right? Yeah. And, uh, Gildan, that's like a athletic company. Is that right? Or like athletic, athletic wear? Oh, that's, that's cute how you're asking me as if I have any idea what Gildan is. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what that one is. Um, the other Here, bowl. I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. You, you keep talking. I'm going to look it up. Okay. So we'll go to the other bowl, unless you have anything else on the Gildan, New Mexico bowl. The Royal. Yes. So Gildan is a clothing company. Yeah, see? I knew that. Based well, in Montreal, Canada. And they sponsor a bowl in New Mexico. Interesting. Okay. There we go. Uh the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. And Royal Purple is some sort because USC went to this bowl a couple years ago, I figured out what Royal Purple is. Some kind of uh uh like lubrication thing, like you know, oil for industrial purposes, I believe. Um Great. Just great. Yeah. So it's, I know a little bit about something, what it was like, not, not exactly. Is that one of the bowl gifts you think? Just, just some oil, (laughs) (laughs) some lube. They give you a couple of quarts and that's, (laughs) that's, that's something in the gift suite. Yeah. We, you know, we should It's just tire parts. It's like tires and, and lubricant and some lug nuts. That would be good. We should go, we should go over what the gift suites are. Um, A lot of them just kind of list like gift package and stuff, but they'll have like a watch or, some kind of stuff like that. But that's that's what the players kind of look forward to. Um, so I cracked the code this week on a UCLA gift from the past. At one point, they all went into a gift suite, and one of the things in the gift suite was a recliner. Like, you could you could just get a recliner. Really? That seems absurd to me. Like, just absurd. What? That's a big bag you put that in, and I don't know if it... Uh... Apparently, you, like, just <laughs> check a box, and then it gets sent to you. Wow. Isn't yeah. there a limit though, like four hundred bucks or something like that? Like you can. I don't know. I don't know how they price these things wholesale. I don't know what they do on the gift suite. I'm sure they do like average cost. I don't know. Yeah, weird. Wow, recliner. Yeah. Like you can put recliner. that in your dorm room. Yeah, like a like a recliner, like like an, like a chair that's probably more expensive than four hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Rosen could have it right next to his hot tub in his dorm. That's <laughs> right. That's right. All right, Royal Purple. Let's talk. Uh, so this is in Las Vegas at Sam Boyd Stadium. Um, this is the Holy War, Dave. So it's it is. BYU. It's Holy War. Holy War. BYU taking on Utah Utes. All right. This game is on at 12.30 p.m. So even in bowl season, Pac-12 teams schedule opposite each other. 
uh, on ABC. BYU against Utah. Both teams nine and three. Utah's still ranked at number twenty-two. Utah's favored by two and a half points, but it's expected to be a low-scoring game. Over/under set at fifty-one. Uh, game is in Las Vegas. Um, it's already getting heated. Um, there was a little, not a fracas, but a little bit of a some smack talking back and forth at a uh, bowl function this week where a Utah player called out the BYU team for being dirty, which they are. Um, <laughs> but I want to hear what our man Brian Swinney has to say about the Cougs versus the Utes. That should be interesting. Here you go. Brian Swinney with UteSportsReport.com here. We're just a couple of days away from the big battle down in Las Vegas between the University of Utah and their hated rival, the BYU in the Las Vegas Bowl. It's a really interesting matchup from both teams' perspective. Let's start with BYU and the fact that their head coach, Bronco Mendenhall, has left to take the Virginia job and is taking most of his assistant coaches with him. He will coach the bowl game. Most of those assistant coaches will also be at the bowl game. But you have to wonder how focused BYU is going to be, how much preparation BYU has put into this game, and whether or not the players are actually ready to go out there and fight for a coach that, in a sense, is kind of abandoning him. So pretty interesting to see what BYU is going to do on their side. They're healthier than Utah, and that's definitely an advantage for the Cougars, but they don't have the athletes that that the Utes have, and that could be a big advantage for Utah, a team that went down to Las Vegas Bowl last year and absolutely wiped the floor with a 10-win Colorado State team. Moving on to Utah, another interesting situation for the Utes where a lot of their coaches or coaching staff is kind of sitting around waiting to see what happens with the BYU job. Whether Kalani Sataki or Kenny Umatulolo picks up that job, they could be ones to be, uh, be pushed down to BYU or actually land jobs down at BYU. So you could see Utah coaches this week eventually end up coaching for BYU next season. I I, uh, I would assume that it probably at least one Utah coach on staff makes that move down there. I wouldn't be shocked if there were more than one. But but Utah's coming off a, a season where that ended up being somewhat disappointing, despite the fact that technically they are co-champs of the Pac-12 South. They lost three of their last five games to close out the season after being ranked as high as number three in the polls at one point earlier this year. It's been an up-and-down year for them to, through the second half of the season, and they're missing their biggest weapon on offense in Devontae Booker, who was out for the season. Travis Wilson is going to have a lot on his plate, but we did see Joe Williams step in as the backup running back in the last two games and go over 100 yards in each of those games, and he's looked pretty impressive, especially running between the tackles, which has been nice to see for a guy that's that's a little bit smaller and is more of a a quicker guy. But he's shown that he does have that ability to run through the tackles. He did so against UCLA and Colorado. The big guy on Saturday, though, is going to be Travis Wilson. He may be able to exploit, not with his arms, but with his legs, a BYU rushing defense that doesn't seem to stop the run very well. Wilson's been very effective with that uh, that read option throughout the season. He's made the right decision 90 to 95% of the time, which is probably the highest percentage in the entire Pac-12. It's one of Wilson's strengths, his ability to run the ball and run guys over at times. Utah does still have some of those injuries, though. The wide receiving core is beat up a little bit. We don't know if Britton Covey, the team's leading wide receiver, is going to be able to play. And Utah's still uh, lacking some uh, some tight end depth there, as Harrison Hanley's really their only wide or excuse me tight end that has much experience throughout the season. If he were to be injured in any way, Utes would really be in a tough position at the wide receiver spot. The defensive line starting to get pretty healthy. Hunter Dimmick may be able to play on Saturday, but if not, Kylie Fitz is going to be fine on one end. Jason Fanica's. Uh, healthy at this point, and the interior of the defensive line is pretty healthy itself. 
the linebackers and Gianni Paul and Jared Norris have had a chance to get really healthy. And this could be a great game for Gianni Paul, who I think was jobbed on the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year award to showcase himself for some Pac-12 or some NFL scouts. He's undersized at about 5'10", but he's a guy who makes more plays than anyone else and more impactful plays than anyone else in the entire Pac-12. It should be an absolute blast down in Vegas. Anytime these rivalry games end up in a bowl game, they tend to be pretty close. I expect this one to be very close. I do think Utah, with the overall talent advantage and the fact that the BYU coaches are maybe somewhat distracted since they'll be heading off to Virginia following this game, I do give the Utes a slight edge in this game, and I do think they win this one with both teams scoring somewhere in the 20s. And, yes, I have done this entire preview from inside of a restroom. Brian Twinney with Youth Sports Report. Enjoy the game on Saturday. <laughs> That's all right. That, that was incredible. Bravo. That was incredible. Claps. I want to say, I want to mention this. Our guys were all getting a little worn down at the end of the year. You could tell the previews were getting a little bit shorter, a little bit worse, not as extensive, not as comprehensive. And we all understand it, right? Completely get it. Jason Shear and Brian Swinney brought the thunder today. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just take a moment to appreciate that. That was, I think, three minutes from Jason, three minutes from Brian. Super thorough, really great stuff. And that was from a bathroom. Yeah. Our guys are feeling it now. They're, <laughs> they're refreshed. They got two weeks off and they're ready to go. I think so. You know, I told them, I'm like, Hey guys, you know, we're only going to do two, two previews in this, this episode. Feel free to go longer if you want. You know, we can't, I don't think we could have those guys go in three, four minutes for when we're doing 10 of them. But, Probably not. But, you know, for two of them, I'd like, yeah, you know, bring whatever you want. And I feel bad. We didn't, it's been real busy for us. We haven't been able to do the preview show as early as we'd like to. You know, it's the day before the games. We're taping the show. We'll get it up as quickly as possible. But, um, yeah, I'm glad they were able to get, go into a lot of detail there. And we'll get Pac-12 football this weekend, Dave. Crazy. It's so good. It's so good. All right, we should talk a little bit about this game, too. At least give our picks because, I mean, people want to know what yeah. we pick. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of with Brian on this one. I think Utah's, um, a little bit just a, a kind of a more athletic team. I think BYU's got some areas where they can exploit Utah. I think Tanner Mangum's going to be a really good quarterback and he's already shown a lot this year. And I think he's got some big targets that could cause some issues for Utah's corners. Um, and BYU's certainly a, a pretty good offensive team, but their rush defense isn't great. And Utah with, Joe Williams, who looks pretty good, actually. And Travis Wilson, who's playing his last game. I think those two guys are going to run for a good amount of yards against BYU and kind of control the game, control the clock. Um, I think Utah, they've just got a lot of the motivational factors on their side, too. Um, it kind of goes both ways, but I think with Mendenhall leaving BYU and taking some assistance with him, I don't know how focused the coaching staff's going to be on this game. Um, I think the players will because it's, you know, the Holy War, the rivalry, the whole deal. But I, I think the, the BYU coaching staff could have their head a little bit in other places. Um, Utah, I mean, obviously it's disappointing to go into this game rather than going into the Rose Bowl or a bigger time bowl that they might have expected, you know, a month or two ago. Um, but I think the fact that it's against BYU and not against, you know, a Colorado state of the world. Um, I think that kind of ups the motivational factors. So I like Utah from the emotional um, and motivational standpoint, and I think I like them from the matchup standpoint too. So I'm going to take Utah, and I'm going to take them to cover the two and a half. You know, I'm going to agree with you there. I, I kind of think you when know, we talk about the bowl thing where you're not really sure if teams really want to be there, I think both teams here are going to want to be there. And, and besides the coaching staff for BYU, that's kind of an X factor. 
for Utah, you could see this being a letdown kind of game where, oh, you got to go to the Las Vegas Bowl. But just because of the opponent, I think you're going to have, you know, a couple weeks of Utah preparing like it was, uh, you know, the Rose Bowl or something, the Super Bowl, whatever. I mean, they're going to make a big deal out of this. Like it was a regular season game, like you're in the middle of the season. Sometimes those end of the bowl games, and it's, you know, it's one of the first bowl games. So you will get to it. You know, it's not this huge layoff. So I kind of think you're going to see closer to what both teams were playing at the end of the season. Um, on the BYU side, though, they've won, I think it was seven of their last eight games. Uh, they had only lost a close one to Missouri, um, which was interesting. But, you know, they're, they're another team that beat Boise State. Um, you got to see them uh, play UCLA, and that was a real close game, a one-point game. Yep. And uh, then they got blanked by Michigan the week after that. But after that Michigan game, they seemed to kind of find their stride a little bit more. And Tanner Magnum, like you said, um, he just kind of, you know, lit everybody up for a while. But I, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take, uh, Utah and the two and a half points this one. I don't think I would take them at three and a half, but it, like <laughs> no, under a field yeah. goal, I'll take them, you know? Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm eyeing 27, 24 right here. That's, that's my number right here. Yeah. So, all right. Well, those are the, uh, two initial Pac 12 bowl games. I think the rest of the Pac 12 is off until the 26th. So, um, that'll be, Probably our next uh, preview will be covering those ones. So next week's show, but we've got we've got some other stuff to cover today. We've got um, the all conference selections came out. I think at the beginning of this week or late last week, and uh, we've got a lot of questions to get to. Um, I guess from the all conference perspective, the big thing. So first of all, I thought generally the all conference team was pretty good. I mean, I didn't think it was as atrocious as it got at times last year. I thought there were a few interesting things. Did we get any um, comments from our publishers about what they thought? Were there any obvious snubs? Um, we did have, okay, so yeah, we did have a couple. I forget who um, Brian mentioned for, for Utah, the snub uh, for player, the, the, the defensive player of the year. Johnny Paul. John- and I, I don't disagree. I think Johnny Paul got snubbed a little bit. Um, who ended up defensive player of the year? The defense. That's a very good question. Let's see. We have, <laughs> I have like the whole list here and then let me see. Okay. So was DeForest Buckner. So offensive. I, I, that, pl- that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I, I just, I, I don't like rewarding a guy who's on one of the worst defenses in the Pac 12. You know? It, yeah. That's tough. So you had Christian McCaffrey as the offensive player of the year. Pat Tillman, defensive player of the year, was DeForest Buckner. Uh, offensive freshman was Josh Rosen. Defensive freshman was Cameron Smith, who didn't even play the last few games for USC. Um, right. The co-coaches of the year were Leach and Shaw. Right. And the student athlete of the year was Mike Bercovici. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Gianni Paul. So, yeah. So, the linebacker Paul from Utah. Uh that's that's the snub that Brian mentioned, um, not being defensive player of the year. But yeah, it, it's it's tough with Buck. He was dominating, but the whole defense was pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I, I don't know about that one. I mean, Johnny Paul did still end up first team All Conference, so he might have just missed the defensive player of the year. Um, you know, looking at it, I, I don't have too much disagreement. I think UCL from a UCLA perspective, the one big complaint with the All Conference team was. Kaimi Fairbairn was a second team all conference kicker. And I didn't actually necessarily have a problem with him being second team. It was the fact that he was second team to Aiden Schneider, the Oregon kicker, whose longest kick this year, like not just longest make, but longest attempt this year was 41 yards. 
Um, he kicked a lot because Oregon scored a lot of points. So he kicked a lot of point afters and he kicked a lot of field goals. But Fairbairn, I mean, made a, a 60 yarder this year and he kicked, you know, seven kicks over 40 yards, made four of them. Uh, and one's a Lou Groza award for the best <laughs> kicker in the country. Um, Aiden Schneider, just so everyone knows, wasn't up for the Groza. Um, so that one was a little weird. That's to me. weird. Yeah. If I was going with a first-team kicker other than Fairbairn, it would have been Conrad Ukraprina because he actually beat a team with a kick, had great stats all year, and also beat Notre Dame in one of the bigger Pac-12 games of the year with his game-winning kick. So um, I thought that one was peculiar, but that was the only one from a UCLA perspective that I thought was a, a little weird. From Washington, uh, we had uh, Chris Fetters write in. He says, uh, so Keyshawn Barrera wasn't even an honorable mention um, he thought that was kind of weird. He was the second leading tackler on the best defense in the Pac-12 and didn't get any mention at all. So I thought wow. that his name could have at least been mentioned. And, uh, uh, for, let's see, for Arizona State, uh, Chris Cartman wrote in Antonio Longino, uh, wait, Longino? I think that's how you say it. Yeah. He was a major snub. Uh, he led the Pac-12 in sacks and tackles for loss and didn't get first or second team honors. Probably worse considering he's a senior. I think it's because Arizona State was six and six. And a lot of his production was against the non-top teams, but even so, it's kind of a head scratcher. Well, uh, here's a here's a weird head scratcher. Of the first team offensive selections, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Eleven of the thirteen came from the Pac-12 North. Interesting. That's weird. Do we think that the Pac-12 South coaches or SIDs, whoever actually voted on this, didn't actually vote this year? Maybe. <laughs> because it does seem like it's very predominantly Pac-12 North that, that won honors here. Well, they have won, you know, five straight championship games. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean. <laughs> uh, but that really doesn't, yeah, I mean, there's, there's you know, good players on both. I mean, there, you, know, you could say there's more teams. But, yeah, it's definitely the North was a lot deeper than we thought it was going to be this year. And the cream definitely rose to the the top but yeah that that's kind of interesting um there was only it's funny on the first team there was only two people that are repeats so tom hackett the punter from utah it's his third time uh being a first team specialist which obviously well deserved he won the ray guy award uh i believe that's what they call it right and then uh, and then sua cravens who announced he's going to uh forego his senior season and make himself eligible for the nfl draft it was his second time as first team linebacker, but everyone else, it was their first timers on the first team. Yeah, that's uh, you know, I think this was a transitional year for the Pac-12 in a lot of respects, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, graduated a good amount of senior and and top junior talent last year, so I think that probably makes sense given kind of our impression of the Pac-12 season that the conference was probably a little bit down this year. Um, I think it was a transitional season for a lot of the talent. Yeah. All right. But yeah, I mean, it, overall, I thought it was a pretty good list. I think there's some guys on there that was name recognition more than anything. And it, it, it's not easy. I mean, for an SID at, you know, Utah to know how good the left tackle at Oregon State is, you know, like you really, it's, you kind of rely on when you're talking about offensive linemen, you're kind of relying on what people tell you a lot of the times. And, um, it's tough. So I think sometimes name recognition will kind of get you on here a little bit more. Um, and it, you know, it's not a perfect, it's not exact science or anything, but yeah, I think I, overall, I thought the list was pretty good. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad at all. So 
All right, so that's the uh, all-conference teams. We've got some questions to get to. Okay. Um, shall we just jump right in? Sure. All right. Um, this is from Zach in NYC. He calls this an uncomfortable question. Are you ready for this? Okay. Hi, Ryan and Dave. As a premium member of both Bro and USC Scout, I've noticed a recurring theme when it comes to rumors about Jim Mora. Gerard Martinez and Dan Weber are consistently mentioning how unhappy Mora is at UCLA and that he is looking for other opportunities. If this is true, how come I never read this on Bro? Thanks, Zach. I don't know. Is this something that Gerard and Dan are writing a lot? I don't I, know. I didn't think so, but um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's come. I think when the whole kind of coaching search was basically for the beginning of it, and there was, I think Bruce Feldman was the first one that came out and said. Two names that you should look at is Jim Mora and Brian Kelly. Um, so two, you know, two USC rivals. And we, I think we put in some war room stuff. There were some, uh, at least some rumors out there that, you know, he might not be all that happy. I don't think it was something that was being harped on like over and over again or anything. I, I think that was going to be a slippery slope either way, but his name kind of came out early. So then you're kind of there. I think there was a lot of talk about it. Right. If I'm psychoanalyzing Jim Mora, um, I would say he, Probably was a little bit more unhappy this year, largely because of the way the year went. I thought the injuries really, really took a hit, or he really took a hit with those injuries at the beginning of the year, especially Miles Jack, who's like a son to him. I think not having him all year and, you know, just, I think it started off on kind of an off note and then finishing the year eight and four, losing to SC. I don't think that would have made anyone happy. Um, I don't know if like broad perspective, he's unhappy at UCLA. Um, and I mean that, I don't know. Um, I think, uh, he donated just prior to the year a huge amount of money to basically get a terrace named after him in the football facility. So I think from a financial perspective, he's pretty committed to UCLA. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think, um, I think this year was a tough one, but I, you know, I think, um, I think that would have been true for pretty much anyone. So. I don't know. I, I I don't know that Gerard and Dan are, are are consistently mentioning that. I don't I don't spend enough time on uscscout.com. Oh, I just don't. I terrible. just don't. I'm sorry. I, I really don't. would love to spend more time on Bro too. I do have fun when I go there. It's just it's just tough. It's so great. It's so great. It, going on Bro after something like either good or bad happens is just fantastic. <laughs> it's just it's just incredible. Yeah, incredible. All right, um, moving on right along. Uh, this is from Nick from Cyprus. No rundown because no games. A few questions. You know, I I love Nick's rundown, but his questions are always pretty good, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think his questions are actually way better than we give him credit for. All right, this is Nick from Cyprus. So there was a game this week. I lied. Army 17 versus Navy 21. Army 14 years in a row losing. Come on, everyone knows Army is better. LOL. I know this is the Pac-12 podcast, but I'm having football withdrawals. Can bowl season start like yesterday? So my questions are short and simple, I hope. Number one, how was the L.A. schools recruiting weekend? And I guess the rest of the Pac-12 schools, if you guys have knowledge. Um, USC is looking to fill its staff. Okay, so that's the first question. How was the L.A. schools recruiting weekend? UCLA had some official visitors in. Uh, doesn't look like there are any going to be any imminent commitments from it. Um, they just got a punter commitment, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, they had some official visitors in and it apparently went well, but no imminent commitments. Yeah. Kind of same thing on the USC side, just, uh, some official visitors, a couple kids from Sarah. There was some up and down talk about Khalil Tate, maybe wavering from Arizona. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Uh, Wally Patiku, uh, you know, he came on a visit. So, I mean, there's, 
Uh, you know, they, they made some, there's some new offers and stuff out there, but nothing I don't think major happening. We've, we've entered the dead period now. Um, and I think there are a lot of the talks going to be on the bowl and the, for at least on the USC side, filling out the staff. They announced T. Martin was going to be the offensive coordinator today, which is interesting because he's a great recruiter and usually you don't have your coordinators being a recruiter. So that might take away from some of his, you know, his recruiting prowess, I guess you could say. He'll probably still be involved in it, but I mean, usually coordinators aren't. Um, but probably not a whole lot going on until they finish out the staff and a lot of those defensive players that they're going after know who the defensive coordinator is going to be, what the scheme is going to be and all of that. Yeah. So, um, that's the LA schools. I think we should maybe get some, uh, get, do a recruiting podcast with the rest of the Pac 12 because, I mean, we, we don't have expert knowledge of every Pac 12 team and their recruiting. So maybe that would be a fun thing to do for, I don't know, the first week after the bowl games. Yeah, we could get Huffman or Biggins on or both or yeah, one or two. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And maybe get the publishers on to give a little short snippet as well. Uh, give a brief rundown of what's been new, what's going on, maybe coming out of the dead period in the beginning of January. I think that'd be fun for everyone. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Um, USC is looking to fill its staff. Does UCLA look to be losing any coaches from job advancement, being let go, or not wanting to deal with Coach Mora, LOL? Um, <laughs> not like... Not specifically right now. I, I, I still wouldn't rule it out because weird things happen during this December to January period. You know, somebody has a spot to fill on a staff somewhere. Um, and it's just, it ends up being a good fit. Um, so I wouldn't rule it out for UCLA. Nothing looks super imminent, kind of the same way with recruiting. Nothing looks super imminent in terms of commitments, but nothing looks super imminent in terms of a coach leaving or being let go. UCLA did have a little bit of a scare this week with offensive coordinator Noel Mazzoni uh, being hospitalized with, um, a, from what we heard, blood clots in his lung, um, which was very scary. But he was up and about this week um, and actually went to practice yesterday, so that was awesome to see. Um, but other, I don't, I don't see any kind of uh, any coach movement right now. Uh, but it's definitely still a possibility on the horizon. And then, uh, last, how many games do, does the Pac-12 win in bowl season? I'm going over-under 7. Your thoughts? So he's saying Ooh. the over-under is set at 7 of 10? That's pretty good. I think, if, I didn't look lately, but I thought the Pac-12 was favored in like 8 of them, right? Yeah, so let's look. Let's look really quick. Let's do our quick rundown. Okay. I mean, this is kind of, this is kind of spoiling our, our, our preview shows, but let's do it. All right, we've both got Arizona winning. We've both got Utah winning. So that's 2-0. Uh, Miami Wazoo? Um, I think I like Wazoo. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, Miami played a little better. What's a, Do we know the spread or you don't have the spread? Two, two and a half. Two and a half. Wazoo by two and a half. Okay, so Wazoo's favorite in that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Wazoo for that. I'm going to reserve the right to uh, – this is just win. This is not against the spread. Just Yeah, win. this is just wins. Okay. So – just for the purposes of saying uh, our number. Washington, Southern Miss, I've got Washington. They're favored by eight and a half. Yeah, that's pretty. UCLA, Nebraska, I, I'm i going to call that a push right now because I don't know. I, I, UCLA in weird, like, second-tier bowl games is always scary to me. They're favored by seven. They're, UCLA favored by seven? Yeah, I would still probably give the edge to UCLA. But the problem is Nebraska's, they're five and seven, but. They They're not a real five and seven. Team. No, they no. could, they could definitely could be reversed seven and five easy. Yeah. So, um, and then Cal Air Force, this is a tricky one. Uh, Cal's favored by seven and a half. I don't know if I'm picking that for a straight win. 
Yeah, that I'm kind of I'm not sure about that one either. Okay, that's 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 a potential. All right, so we've got two toss-ups so far. Uh, USC Wisconsin. USC favored by three. Yeah, I mean the problem here is that I think Wisconsin is going to be up for this one, and I'm just USC hasn't even started practice yet. Like I'm calling honestly. that a toss-up. Yeah, let's give it a toss-up. And then Stanford Iowa. I think I like Stanford pretty big here. I do too. I, I've heard some people say that they they think Iowa is going to really come out and play well in this game, but I I, I think Stanford's going to outclass them. And then Oregon TCU is an even game right now. Yeah, I think. I love the way the offense is playing for Oregon, but I just, I don't know. I think, I think TCU is going to be better on defense. So I, I think I might go. I, I'll give it a toss up right now. Yeah. So we've got four toss ups and then West Virginia ASU. I think I'm, I'll call it another toss up. So I've got five toss ups. Yeah. And what, what, so are they all, how many Pac 12 teams were favored? Um, all but Oregon and TCU or all but Oregon and uh, Arizona State. Sorry. So Arizona State was not favored. Arizona State is uh, a dog by one, and uh, USC, or sorry, and um, TCU and Oregon are even. Wow. So I mean, you're you're talking <laughs> that's a lot. Eight favorites, uh, one very very slight underdog, and one pick'em. Yeah. So pretty much the whole conference is favored, like. Pretty much. But we look at like half the games as being toss up. Yeah. So I think over well, under seven is pretty good. I think that's a pretty good number. Yeah, I think I'm going with over under seven being right on, and I think I'll go with seven. I think Pac-12 wins seven games even. Yeah, because there's going to be a game or or two or three that don't go the right way. Yeah. yeah. All right. Man, good question. I, yeah, I, I think we'd go right at seven. Like if you said six and a half, I'd go over. But yeah, and if you said seven and a half, I'd go under. There we go. I like because it. we think it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, going pro. Hola, señores. This is from Alex. Thanks for the podcast. Keep up the great work. Now my questions. Who are you hearing goes pro? Who should go pro? And who really needs to come back? Any and all Pac-12 teams? This is another great question for all of our Pac-12 publishers. We should really look at these questions before we do these podcasts, Ryan. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> we probably should, like research and everything. Well, um, I think this is actually a better question for next week or the week after anyway. Yeah, um, let's do that. Because a lot of a lot of guys are just now in the process of getting their evaluations back. Um, and those happen, I think those start coming in over the next week from the NFL. Um, and so you've got guys like Sue Cravens, who's an obvious guy who's going. You've got guys like Miles Jack, who announced in friggin' October that he was going. Um, but the unobvious ones, the guys who had good years and now they're trying to figure it out, like, say, a Kenny Clark. He's not going to decide until after the bowl game. Um, so I, I think it might be better to have this be kind of a, you know, a post, maybe the, those bowl games on the 26th, right before we get into, um, you know, the Rose Bowl and the whole thing, have a podcast where we uh, go over some of that stuff. Sounds good or, to me. Sounds great. Um, all right. And this is from uh, Matt. Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Century. The Pac-12 named John Elway as the Pac-12 Player of the Century. He did not win the Heisman Trophy, did not win a national championship, and holds no significant Pac-12 conference records. I have to imagine that his NFL accomplishments impacted the award significantly. Do either of you have any thoughts on Elway being awarded this honor and other players that would have been more deserving? Well, I don't. Uh, what what criteria did they use for this? Was it strictly you know college performance? Was it strictly Pac-12 games? Or I was thought it... it was, but there was definitely guys on the the whole team and the the all century team 
that you felt was more of a, you know, an NFL accomplishment thing. And I think Elway's one of those guys, you know. I mean, I just, because he's got such a huge name, he didn't do all that much. I mean, I think the same thing, USC's offensive lineman, Anthony Munoz, you know, one of the, maybe the best offensive lineman in NFL history, he was hurt yeah. a lot of his USC career. Like, it, he didn't, he got that award because of his NFL stuff, not because of what he did just in college. So I think that happened on multiple occasions. Yeah. I, I mean, Elway was, I mean, from what I'm remembering, I was, I was barely alive when Elway was playing quarterback in the Pac 12, but, um, really good. I mean, college quarterback, just, I mean, those teams weren't very good. So yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the way that went. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, um, I don't really get excited about this stuff, probably because not many UCLA players were represented in the first place. Um, but I, I thought it was fair enough. I mean, who would you have picked as the uh, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Century, Ryan? I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of – I think there's a bunch of guys that did more in college than than Elway did. But, you know, it's it's subjective. You know, whatever you know people think. Um, but as far as like – Would you have gone OJ? Would you have gone OJ? No, would you I don't think – the controversial pick? Yeah, that would definitely be, uh, <laughs> that would be controversial. That, that would be pretty ballsy. I would have, I would have commended the Pac-12 if they'd done that. that it was, cool. it was interesting that they put, you know, put Reggie Bush there, um, you know, as a, what was he? He was like player of the, I think it was off, I thought he was the offensive player of the century. Didn't they name him and Ronnie Lott? Maybe. I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest. I paid exactly zero attention to this entire thing. So we were, when I was up for the championship game, they honored, uh, all those guys, they had, they, you know, well, a bunch of them came out there, but they, they brought Reggie Bush out and the Pac-12 made a big deal about, you know, him and, and everything. And it was funny. He's not even allowed to be around USC. It's like a lifetime ban for whatever reason. Like that's, that seems like ridiculous when you like, why is a, a player a ban for life? Like if you like, you know, if you want to ban OJ for life, that makes sense. It doesn't really make as much sense to ban Reggie Bush for life, but the, so. He was out there and he like poked his head in the USC locker room. And then there's like concerns that USC now has to report that to the NCAA because Reggie Bush came into their locker room who the Pac-12 invited him there. You know, it's, it's just kind of this weird, the whole thing was kind of weird. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you don't feel it's fair. And I agree with you. I think John Elway was not the Pac-12 offensive player of the century. And he might not have been. We don't even know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is from John. State of the conference. Dear David and Ryan, I just started listening to the podcast of champions and just like when I discovered the Peristyle podcast, my life will no longer be the same. Thanks for all the smart, in-depth coverage of the Pac-12 conference. Ryan, as you know from my emails to the USC podcast, I am incredibly frustrated with the way this conference is being run by Larry Scott. He has succeeded in marginalizing the conference from a national perspective. Once, one example. Once again in 2016, there is a Saturday on the schedule, October 29th, when neither USC or UCLA is playing a football game. The entire Los Angeles market is not represented regionally or nationally. What is your opinion of the job Larry Scott is doing, and when is his contract up? Thanks for your time, John. What do you got, Ryan? I don't know when his contract is up. I'm not sure what. I think I think he recently got re-upped, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, we got to talk to him during the, the championship game. He came up and spoke. It was funny. He, he gave a little, uh, shout out to Chris Dufresne, who was, you know, retiring from the LA Times, uh, longtime college football, uh, columnist. And, uh, he was, it was interesting. He, you know, said some nice things about him, you know, going away, but he said he's a guy that was never afraid to take shots at, 
at the conference or its commissioner. So, I mean, it was true. I mean, he's a guy that um, criticized Larry Scott quite a bit. Um, and I think when you hear him talking about some of the issues that the conference has, he's kind of given it the company line all the time. Why are there as many night games? Why are there these Thursday games and Friday games? And why does the championship game move from Friday to Saturday, depending on who's broadcasting it? And really, to kind of get that the big TV contract that he negotiated, um, you can argue if it's good or bad or whatever, but part of the negotiation was basically the Pac-12 has to kind of bend over to the, the different, you know, uh, outlets, their demands, you know, for Fox or ESPN or whatever, basically give them what they need to get the money that the Pac-12 is, is getting right now. Um, so I, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, okay, that's what you had to do. Could you argue that you could have negotiated this better? You could, you know, it would have been better for Christian McCaffrey if he didn't have to play all those night games. Yeah, probably would have, you know. Um, so sometimes I, I think there's a lot of criticism of Larry Scott. And I think it's, um, warranted for most of the, most of the time. I, I kind of get where he's coming from when he talks about it, but I do feel like that the Pac 12 isn't that the network, the decisions made early on were probably not good as far as trying to be independent. Um, it's, you know, distribution is terrible. There's no other way around it. I mean, AT&T buys DirecTV and they still can't get on it, even though they're partners with AT&T. I mean, there's a lot of problems and I think there's a lot of issues. I think Larry Scott screwed up the whole expansion. They should have had, you know, Texas and Oklahoma could have been in the conference and, uh, you know, that there were some sticking points or whatever and they end up adding Colorado and Utah, which it's fine. But I mean, you could have had the Oklahoma schools and the Texas schools. Like how different would the conference be then? Then you're talking. The money, and I don't think you'd be playing the same kind of night games. You could demand a lot more if you had brought those kind of teams in. So I definitely think there was a lot of missteps along the way with Larry Scott. Um, just my opinion. Yeah, I uh, I agree with literally every word you said. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, okay. I think he's uh, done a. I, I think honestly, his biggest missteps were at the very beginning, and you know he's trying to make the best of a bad situation, and it's just you know it is what it is at this point. Yeah, was, um, I mean, he's, he's definitely made some positive changes. It's it's better than it was before, where they didn't make oh, any sure. changes yeah. whatsoever. But I I don't I I don't think you know your need where the conference needs to be. It's falling behind now, and it's not going to get better year after year. It's going to get more and more behind. Yeah, my opinion. Yeah, then do agree. All right, this is from Bernie. Uh, Josh Rosen. Hi, Dave. Can you mention in your next broadcast that Josh was chosen as the quarterback on ESPN's National True Freshman All-American team? Thanks, Bernie. It's mentioned. We've mentioned it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rosen, uh, I think he's been on the few True Freshman uh, All-American lists. So, as probably he should be, one of the better True Freshman quarterback seasons of all time. So, very good for Josh, um, and he will go into next year with a lot of accolades. So, all right, that's that's... That's it. That's it. Um, That's it for our questions. One quick thing. Yeah, it was Elway was the offensive player. I, I forgot all this stuff. And Ronnie Lott was a defensive player. And I think Reggie Bush was like the uh, special team player of the century. Um, okay. So that's what they did there. But yeah, I, there was talk about that up at the, you know, was it Elway? And Elway was there um, doing some interviews and stuff along with Ronnie Lott. So we got to talk to him a little bit. Um, but was he like the best offensive player? I mean, yeah, I mean, you got... Marcus Mariota just won the Heisman. Like, Elway didn't win the Heisman. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't, it's not the end all be all, but, um, you know, Mariota played for a national championship. You know, a guy like Leinart 
played played in three of those games and won the Heisman Trophy. So would you say that that you know I think Liner obviously Elway had you know a million times better pro career, but Liner's career against Elway's in college I, I don't know if you could even compare the two. Yeah, back when I was um, a real troll back in my student days, um, <laughs> when I was trolling my fellow UCLA students, I would pretty and I. I don't know if I disagree even now, but I would make the argument that Matt Leinart, if you were judging just on his college career, might have, I mean, he was better than pretty much anybody else. I mean, he had a really phenomenal college football career. I mean, yeah, he was surrounded by, you know, NFL talent at basically every position, but that dude had a great career. And if you're comparing it to Elway, I mean, whatever, you, you know, I know the partisan UCLA fans will kill me for saying this, but. I mean, he won, what was it? I, I don't even know what the official total is because I hear so much like, oh, those titles don't count. But did he win two national championships? Yeah, two and then played for a third, lost to Texas, yeah. Right. So, I, I you know, I mean, I, I think you can make an argument for him. Um, but, yeah, I think there were, I mean, I think there were a lot of guys with better careers than John Elway at, in college. I mean, like, Elway's career is like, it's like Cade McNown's at UCLA, and I don't think anybody's arguing that Cade McNown is the best quarterback of all time in the Pac-12. So, yeah. And, I, you yeah. know, I'm sure there's guys, too. I'd have to go through. Ronnie Lott's like, I mean, you basically pick two guys that are NFL, Hall of Famer, like everyone knows, Super Bowls and all that kind of stuff. Like if Ronnie Lott didn't win a bunch of Super Bowls with the 49ers, uh, would he have been, I, I don't, you know, they'd probably pick somebody else, but I think, that's, you know, I, he probably didn't have the greatest co- you know, career of any college defender ever. I'd have to go back and look and see a bunch of the other ones. But I w- I'd be willing to bet just, you know, off the top of my head, there's probably guys with better stats and all that kind of stuff. No, he he definitely had success, at, you know, w- with the USC teams that he was on. But I'm sure there's other guys who are better. But both of those guys being multiple Super Bowl winners and Hall of Famer, you know, surefire Hall of Famers, all that kind of stuff. Um, that That's probably a lot of the reasons why they were picked, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, tend to agree. All right. Sweet. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So, uh, we have to figure out when we're going to do our next show. We want to get it in obviously before Christmas, um, and before the, the next wave of bowl games that come after Christmas, but uh, maybe Wednesday. What are you doing Wednesday? I think I'm flying Wednesday. That's the 23rd, right? That's the 23rd. Yeah. My birthday, Dave, is the 22nd. So I don't, I'll be waiting. I haven't got your gift yet, but I'm, you know, hopefully it's coming in. I could give you the gift of a podcast that evening. <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll figure it out. So we'll do one, you know, early to mid next week before, uh, Christmas time. And we'll, we'll work on the, you know, bowl practice schedules. Cause USA actually is going to start practicing, Dave, on Saturday. So hey, not bad to practice. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Eight days, nine days before the actual bowl game. That's They're going to get seven practices in. Hey, seven practices. That's all you need, right? To get prepared for a for Wisconsin. Power Five school. Now, Clay Hell, we got to talk to him at the, uh, we went down for just a, we hadn't talked to Clay in about nine days after the, the, um, Pac 12 title game. So Dan Weber and I drove down to San Diego while they had their press conference and like hardly any media there, but we got like one on one time. With Helton. So it was kind of worth a two hour drive just to kind of pick his brain a little bit. And we kind of filled out who the coaches were going to be because they promoted a bunch of guys that were like, uh, the graduate assistants, they kept the same because those guys could be on the field, but, and, and coach players. But the guys that were like administrative assistants, they became full time coaches because now they can, that's an extra, you know, uh, pair of eyes and hands that you can right. have on the, on the field. So he kind of gave us the, the rundown of who they promoted and everything. And Peter Sermon 
was the linebacker coach. He'll be the defensive coordinator. Um, but kind of talking, you know, to him down there and seeing what was going on, he was, was touting that they had, you know, five extra practices because of the Pac-12 championship game. Plus they're getting, you know, seven more or whatever leading up to the, so he kind of was making it. I could see it was a little bit of a spin, like, no, it, we're not use all 15, but we had the extra five for the championship game. So it's really kind of like the same. Um, so yeah, but I, 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 it is kind of a weird thing that you don't, you take like two weeks off and don't practice at all. Yeah. That's, that's, that's extremely strange. Yeah. I mean, UCLA did the same thing, but I mean, they took two weeks off and one of the weeks off was the Pac-12 championship game. So. Yeah. I mean, so I guess it's, a, I mean, yeah, I guess if they took two weeks off also, I know they were banged up a little bit. And so that's probably a decision they made. Plus with all the coaching turmoil, they had to kind of get ready and get these new coaches up to speed. Um, but I, I kind of would have liked to see a couple of at least extra practices out there. You could do light ones where you're not going to get guys hurt or anything. I don't know, but we'll, do we'll like see. a young guy's scrimmage or something. Who cares? He, just yeah, that's something. one thing Clay Helton did. He started practicing on Mondays just for young guys, like just to get some more experience. And it helped. I think it helped a bunch of the guys kind of later in the season, but yeah, having none for, for two weeks was a little weird, but you know, Hey, what can you do? What can you do? Can't win them all. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. So tune in next week. We'll have another preview show, bowl game preview show, and we'll answer more of your questions. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. For David Woods, this is Ryan Abraham. Check out pack 12 podcastcom for lots more on our podcast of champions.